Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. Joining me in just a moment will be Molly Ruland. And Molly is the founder and CEO of Heartcast Media. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about my industry today. I'm excited and looking forward to that. Um, stay tuned during our breaks where you'll hear from our sponsors. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can find the show each and every week at W2W Media. That's the letter W, the number two, the letter W, Media. Hi, Molly. Thanks so much. Um, just so our viewers know, you're joining us from Costa Rica. That's right. From uh, Lake Arenal area, right on the lake uh, next to the volcano. Oh, my gosh. It looks beautiful. Looks like you're having a great day. It is a beautiful day today, for sure. Um, remind me where you grew up. Uh, I grew up in Falls Church, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. Okay. And can you talk a little bit about the community there and a little bit about your upbringing? Uh, well, I grew up in a very Irish household, so, uh, you know, honoring a lot of the traditional Irish uh, cultural things. So I, I was an Irish dancer. I grew up with the Michael Flatley, the Lord of the Dance. And oh, my God, I love him. I know, competed professionally, and I danced at the White House for Ronald Reagan a few times as a kid, you know, really, oh my uh, God. you know, the St. Patrick's Day Parade, I played the Tin Whistle, the Concertina, all skills that... Uh, haven't really served me in my adult life. <laughs> I have to be honest, uh, but makes for some great stories. Like I grew up with the chieftains in my living room on, uh, you know, certain weekends and things. Oh like my that. God. A lot of music, a lot of, uh, good times, a lot of, a lot of whiskey. Not for me, of course I was too young. But, you know. <laughs> Michael Flatley. I just had a flashback of my, my daughter, um, being obsessed with that video when it came out and dancing for months and months to the, to the show. Well, it's so funny because when that all came out, the woman who's in the Lord of the Dance with him was like my sister's like arch nemesis. <laughs> like it was always her. So it's very <laughs> personal for like our family when I came out. It was very different, you know, than oh probably the rest of the world. But uh, until then, very few people even knew what Irish dancing was, you know. Right. So, that whole phenomenon, I think, kind of faded away. I'm not sure. It was it was unbelievably, you know, riveting to watch. Um, but I guess it's a little monotonous after a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, listen, you and I had a really interesting, you know, call a couple of months ago, and you told me a about your background. And I would say this is probably one of the biggest parts, um, or, or one of the things that had the greatest impact on you was, um, being diagnosed, um, at, at birth with, a um, a spinal disease and, you know, being told 
you wouldn't make it past your 20th birthday. Um, and obviously, you proved many people wrong. Um, can you first describe the condition that you have? Uh, well, it's, it's kind of random, really. I um, was diagnosed with precocious puberty at 15 months old. So I, I look, I grew very fast. I look like a, you know, four year old by the time I was two or a five year old. Uh, I, I was five, 10 by the time I hit third grade. Uh, I, so I just grew really, really fast. And they said I would look like a five year old by the time I was two and I wouldn't grow anymore. And so I wouldn't be a, like a, a dwarf or a midget. I don't know. I apologize if that's not the correct terminology, but I wasn't going to be a little person. I was just going to be, I would look like five-year-old for the rest of my life. And I wasn't going to live. The only other documented case died by the time she was 12. Uh, I wouldn't be able to die, drive a car. You know, I would be very limited mm -hmm. because I would be the size of a five-year-old. Uh, and so I was off the growth charts, you know, at the Bethesda Naval, you know, my whole childhood, they'd be like, here's most people. And then you're, you're not even on the sheet, you know what I mean? So, wow. um, but I just kept growing. And so, uh, you know, and the thing about military medical care is it's not great. Spoiler alert. You know what I mean? They're not doing a lot of preventative stuff, you know? And so they were like, Oh, you're fine. You're not short. So good luck with your life. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, my parents put me on a lot of sports teams. So I, uh, cause you know, I was the secret weapon, you know what I mean? I was five foot 10. And so, you know, most of my childhood was me saying, you know, no, I really am seven. You know, I, I don't want to ride the, the big roller coaster. I want to ride the one for little kids, you know, constantly oh being God. mistaken for being a lot older. older than, than I was, especially at a young age. Right. Cause when you're a two-year-old and a five-year-old are drastically different brains. So, yes. uh, you know, it, it, it really did shape, uh, it shaped me as a person in a few ways. It made me grateful for the days that I'm not in pain because I have a lot of them. And mm -hmm. it gave me a really good perspective on life and empathy. Uh, and it also shaped me because I was expected to, I was spoken to like I was older than I was my entire life. And I was put into adult situations and expected to flourish. And and in all rights, I did. So um, I'm grateful uh, for the affliction or what, what, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, I called my doctor who's now the head of pediatrics at Bethesda Naval about 10 years ago. And I said, you know, Dr. Poth, you know, I'm having a lot of problems. And she said, Molly Rulon, I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I remember you. She said, how tall are you? Wow. 5'10 was where I ended up. But she said, there's no medical explanation as to why you're alive. And you're going to have a very difficult time getting doctors to understand what happened to you because quite frankly, nobody understands what wow. happened to you. So, you know, I just had to navigate those spaces uh, for most of my life and, you know, uh, figure it out. Yeah. So here's what I want to know. If I have pain, I am so not happy. And I have a quote here. You said, I've had multiple spinal surgeries and spend a lot of time in pain, which has impacted my mindset for the better. In in what way? Well, you know, when you spend a lot of time in pain, it makes you really grateful for the time that you're not in pain. And you can't just take drugs to make it go away when it's chronic. I mean, you can, but you probably won't have a very long runway on that, you know? Uh, and so it just makes me feel connected to everybody else in the world. It doesn't, it makes me feel like I'm no different than anybody else. And I understand suffering and I also understand joy, you know? And so I'm grateful for those, those experiences because the flip side is to be angry or resentful Yes. or 
why me? Bitter kind of, yeah, the why me, right. But let me tell you, it's, it requires a lot more energy to be upset than it does to be grateful. And I don't, I, that's a one-way street that doesn't have a very good ending, you know? And so I'm, I made the choice a long time ago to be grateful um, because it has. It has changed my life in the better. It's made a lot of things harder, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I left home at 17, so, you know, went through that mostly alone, you know, figuring it out. Uh, and it made me a stronger, better person. Would it be nice to have a different life with no pain? Sure. But like, you know, I can't spend any time thinking about that because that's not the hand that I was dealt. And I believe that I'm here for a reason. Whatever lesson I'm learning through all this pain is the one that I'm intended to learn. And so I don't feel sorry for myself, you know? Now, Did catch me on day four of debilitating yeah. pain. I might sound a little bit more, you know, a little less grateful, right? But in general, that that's really how I... Did you, did you make a choice? Do you remember a time? Yeah. Making, just deciding how old were you? Um, it was, well, it, you know, it's kind of a heavy story. I had, um, I, I broke my neck bartending in 2016, uh, and I had a neck surgery and almost exactly a year later, I got rear-ended in a car that was going so fast that I, I was sitting at a light and I hit the car in front of me and the car in front of it and the car in front of it. And then she panicked and hit the gas and hit me again. And I hit the car in front of me and the car in front of it. And I was sitting at a light in Capitol Hill, Washington, DC, where, you know, nobody should be going that fast in the first place. The blocks are 20 feet long, you know? Uh, <clears throat> I was looking at my phone when it happened. And so what happened is it knocked loose the hardware from the first spinal surgery that I had had almost exactly a year before. And for two and a half years, I had three herniated discs in my neck and I went through multiple rounds of physical therapy. You know, people talk about imposter syndrome and I was going to, I was going to physical therapy at NIH three days a week with people who like can't feed themselves, can't dress themselves right? I drove myself there. You want to talk about imposter syndrome. You want to talk about, you know, not feeling deserving of something, you mm -hmm. know, into me, that was it. And so, um, there was a period where I just woke up every morning disappointed to still be alive. Uh, but then I, I, cause I wasn't getting the answers. My doctor was treating me like a drug addict, even though I hadn't gotten a prescription filled from him in over a year, but it's just this default, mechanism of the healthcare industry. And I, I went and got an MRI on my own accord and I took it to three spinal surgeons and they were all like, uh, please sit down. We need to operate on you immediately. Are you okay? And wow. so that should have happened two and a half years earlier. And so after that, you know, when I was relieved of all that pain, cause I really started to think I was going crazy. Cause the doctor's telling me there's nothing wrong with me. And I'm like, that doesn't feel possible. There's something right. wrong with me. And I had two and a half, three herniated discs in my neck. Wow. He's telling me there's nothing wrong with me. Right. So it was some validation. And then I got the help I needed. And then coming out of that, it's like, okay, well, you just spent the last two and a half years praying for cancer you know, because I just couldn't do it anymore. And I didn't want to hurt myself because I knew the impact it would have on people, but I had nothing left in me. Right. And I got the help I needed. And I made that decision. Like I'm here, so I'm going to make the best of it. And I'm not going to 
allow that pain to beat me. I'm going to use it as a tool to feel grateful for what I do have, you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, it's remarkable really, because I, I, you know, most people who are physically in pain, um, it becomes, you know, a, a cycle. But so I wonder about you and, how you were growing up with this and what allowed you to become courageous in that way. Because I think it is, I think it's courageous to decide that in spite of something really horrific, that you're going to take the high road. You're just going to. Well, on some level, I didn't have the choice, you know, like I, I left home at 17. So, I mean, there were times when I was driving myself to, the emergency room. I, I, I drove myself to the emergency room, got an epidural one time. I was in so much pain, lied to the doctors and drove myself home because I didn't have any other options. So it was necessity and survival that made me who I am. It's yeah. not necessary. It's like sandpaper. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't a smooth ride, but, um, I've seen the alternative and that's not, that's, you know, that's so sometimes that a necessity, you know, it's, it's like when people say I did what I had to do, I had no choice. And then that can evolve into a mental toughness, I'll say, you know, um, tell me what, when you were growing up outside of dealing with that, what, you know, if someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up, Molly, what, what would you have said? A beautician. That's what oh, I really beaut- want to be. <laughs> I, well, you have I had fabulous hair. Love it. Well, I, you know, it was falling out a couple of years ago, so thank God for that, right? But um, yeah, I had the Vidal Sassoon Academy like pamphlets and everything, you know. Oh my, my mom, gosh! And my mom was like, "You, you know, you shouldn't do that. Your back is going to hurt you." Uh, and I was like, "I don't care. I want to do it." But you know, my mom didn't tell me. I didn't know about any of those things that were wrong with me when I was growing up. I just knew that we spent a lot of time at the hospital. And and it wasn't until I was having dinner with my mom and I was like 19, no, I was like 17 years old because it was before the first surgery. And she's like, you know, when you had, you know, you know, when you almost died. And I'm like, no, uh, can you rewind that track? You know, top selection. Wow, it was just part of life for you. Yeah, Yeah. it was like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know that other families aren't as dysfunctional as yours or, you know, you just know what you know. And she's like, you know, and I'm like, no. I don't, I would remember. And so I had to kind of like figure a lot of that out on my own. You know what I mean? To, um, but I do remember, uh, always being treated like I was older. I do remember being questioned about like, you know, kids nine and under eat free. And they're like, she's 17. And I'm like, I'm four. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I promise I'm not as old as you think I am. Um, and then, I mean, it's funny the things that like stand out. No, it is funny, but that's being different is is one of the hardest things for a kid. You want to just blend in and be like everyone else. And I wasn't, I was like three feet taller than everyone until like sixth grade. And then, you know, then there was some kid who got like puberty early. And then I, it was like me and him (laughs) at the back of the line. You know what I mean? Like, whoop. But, um, and then everybody caught up and it was very normal. I wasn't like, uh, I mean, I felt like uh, Andre the Giant sometimes, but... Did you have pain, this pain that you experienced today then in the beginning? I did, actually. I remember the very first time I had uh, sciatic nerve pain. I was in fourth grade. And of course, I was completely dismissed because what fourth grader has 
sciatic pain. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember doing the presidentials, you know, the fitness awards in school and you have to do a sit and reach where you sit on the ground, you put your legs in a V and you reach past your feet. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't even sit that way because my sciatic nerve is on fire and they just accused me of being fat and lazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it was the 80s. It was a different time. They were mean <laughs> as hell back then for no reason. Nobody cared how you felt, Molly. Yeah, Nobody was like, saying, what, how were you feeling? Yeah, there yeah, wasn't like, any of that. Pain. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. So tell me, you went, you left home at 17. That's really young. You know, it's, it is. You're not an adult yet. Um, talk to me a little bit about that time and how you managed financially. What? What did you do? Well, I was such a little dumb kid, you know, but I was smart enough to know better. So when I was in high school, I went to um, the Arlington Career Center and I was uh, I took 500 classroom hours of um, early childhood education one and two. And I had 500 hours with special needs kids. So when I graduated high school, I was certified to be a preschool teacher. So what happened is I went to college got there. My roommate didn't show up. I was painfully shy. I was not the person I, I am now by any stretch of the imagination. And I basically didn't go to any classes. I didn't do anything. And I failed out by like the third weekend, you know? And so, um, I felt really, really bad and I didn't want my parents to pay for co- any more stuff. And so I, three weeks before the next check was due on December 3rd, I took a one-way train to Boston, Massachusetts, where they proceeded to have the worst winter in a hundred years. You know, I I like easily could have died. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. And so, um, I got a phone book from Boston somehow, and I found a nanny agency and, but you know, for the grace of God, if, as they say, she had uh, run a ran a business out of her home in like Nantucket or like Martha's Vineyard. So I get to Boston. My family doesn't know where I am. I'm wearing three winter jackets. I got a suitcase and I got like 120 bucks. Right. This is before cell phones, pagers, all that. It's 1993. And so I call this. I unfold my yellow pages you know, ripped out page. And I called the lady and she says, Molly Roland, what happened to you? I said, what do you mean? What happened to me? I'm standing on the platform at, at the T, you know, in Boston. And, you know, I'm this kid from Falls Church, you know, the city looks like it's looming over me, you know, it's cold <laughs> as hell, you know? And uh, she's, and she says, okay, well put your suitcase in the thing and take the T and did it. So I end up at, the, at her house. They got a BMW and a Mercedes and, you know, in the driveway, you know, and uh, she's like, okay, are you a runaway? Like, what's really going on? <laughs> are the like, police going to come knocking yeah, on my door? That's really, I can tell you've been crying. And I'm like, I'm, I'm 18 in like seven minutes. You know, I'm not a runaway, but like, here's the deal. She's like, okay, I'm going to find you a job in the next week. And in the meantime, you can stay here, but you're going to like be a participating member of the house. But when I find you a job, you have to um, call your mom and tell her before you can accept it. And I was like, okay, fair enough. You know? Oh and my so. Gosh. That was the first, so that's the first job you, as the nanny with this, with this couple and what, why didn't you call your parents? Um, why didn't you call mom and dad and tell them you were moving to Boston? I felt really guilty because, you know, I was the youngest of four and they put all this pressure on me. You're going to be the one, right? To not screw this up. You're going to be the one out of the four oh. of you that, you know, cause my one brother went to the military, you know, it, whatever. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but it was an insane amount of pressure and mm-hmm. they just didn't really know who I, who I was. You know what I mean? It was kind of, mm-hmm. you know, 
wasn't the best marriage to begin with. It had been kind of over for a long time. I'm the youngest of four. Mind you, I look and act a lot older than I am. So they just assume I'm self-sufficient. And they were like, you got this. And I kept trying to tell them that I didn't actually have it, but (laughs) they weren't really trying to hear that. And so it was out of sheer guilt that I left because I was like, I just wasted a semester's worth of George Mason University's money you know, mm. tuition of your money and didn't want to do that again. But, um, and thank God I wasn't like human trap. I mean, that story could have ended. I mean, badly. Yeah. Going out on your own at that age. You know, yeah. no one knew where I was except for my dumb friends in the dorm rooms. You know what oh I mean? My gosh. Like, uh, I mean, now as an adult, I'm like, good Lord, but oh my gosh, you know, it, it made me who I was in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? And then I just never went back because it just wasn't appropriate and it's just not really how my family is, you know? Okay. Listen, we're going to go into our first break and I want to hear a little bit more of this story, but I do want to talk about your company and, um, your goals and, um, why I think you're, you're such a great inspiration for women. Stay with us and we'll be back with Molly Rulin, the founder and CEO of Heartcast Media. We'll be right back. People are super nice and it's like very walkable. I already have like 15,000 steps today. I think the Schuylkill is pretty nice. Like obviously Greenhouse Park is really nice. Philly has some of the best food ever. Definitely Badia. How could you not? I went to a lot of recently. Fantastic. Philadelphia has always been a great scene for food. We've always had great Italian food. There's great Mexican food. If you go to West Philly, there's a ton of like Indian and Ethiopian. There's all kinds. Just skate around Philly, just cruising, listening to music. Come across the mural, it's just amazing. They're big, colorful, I love it. We chose Philly because it's one of our team buildings and go check out the art. I think one of the coolest parts of Philly is the murals and the street art. And I don't think it's something you should necessarily like go out and look for, but something that you should find on your own. You're getting on the damn train. Everybody's got their jersey on on Sundays and whatnot. Like, I love it. The Phillies were in the World Series. The soccer team was in their championship. And the Eagles, you know what I'm saying, could have won a Super Bowl. So if New York and Philly were at a party, New York would be the one that would need to be the center of tension. And they're going to make sure that everybody's taking shots with them. Philly's going to go with it, and they're going to have a great time, and they're going to be like the hype man, but they're actually going to last a little bit longer because they're going to go like harder, nitty-grittier. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. 
three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Molly Ruland, and Molly is the founder and CEO of HeartCast Media. So I do, her life story, I find very intriguing. Um, but of course, I do want to learn a little bit more how, Molly, how you came to to start your own company, become an entrepreneur, which is always risky. And um, I thought maybe we'd start with, this is a little bit jumping ahead, but during the pandemic, I think you made a pivot. And I wonder if you can talk about that that time and, and what you decided to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, I've owned a multimedia company for 23 years. And so in 2018, I closed one down and formed HeartCast Media And at the end of 2018. And so 2019, we were starting to ramp up our business. And then, you know, 2020 hit. We had a beautiful studio in DuPont Circle in D.C. Um, we were doing really great stuff, you know, really great stuff. Things were ramping up. And then bam, the great Panini lands, you know? And so I had a very brick and mortar business. And so I had to make the decision, to, you know, on what I was going to do. And my lease was up for renewal in May. And so I made the decision in April of 2020. I said, I'm not going to keep paying this commercial lease because they, the first thing they did was stop cleaning the building, but they insisted yeah. that we were still allowed to use it. And I'm like, yeah, 
<clears throat> it's like, you know, the black plague right now. Mind you, this is March 2020 <laughs> where everybody's like, you know, wearing spacesuits to Costco. I'm like, I am not coming into a building that's not being cleaned, <laughs> nor am I paying rent for that. You know what I mean? Right. Commercial right. Washington, D.C. rent. Right. Right. And so I closed my lease in May and everybody thought I was crazy. Everybody's like, you're closing the company. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm eliminating my liabilities and my output because this is not going to be over in a couple of weeks. I don't know when it's going to be over, but I've watched call the midwife enough to know that this is not going to be over in a couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to PBS for most of my education. So I knew it was not going to work out. And so I closed the lease and we took a month off and we just recalibrated because we sell podcasting as a business development tool. And so it's a very different method than a lot of people. And so our clients still needed to do business development. They still needed that avenue. If, if anything, they needed it even more. They need it more. Now they can't go to conferences. They can't go to networking things. You know, the attorneys, you know, a lot of people, it was like all that, you know, new client business uh, resources just dried up. And so having a podcast made a lot of sense. So I just said, I'm going to go fully remote and I'm going to do it better than everybody else. So I learned the settings on the Zoom back end before everybody else. I was recording on separate channels, but, you know, I took my audio and video engineering, you know, and production brain and applied it to get the best possible results. So I was, you know, an early adopter to Riverside, the other end to end, you know, really just went all in on that and uh, grew the business 200% in 2020. You know, did you so, do that? Did you do all that technical engineering stuff on your own, or did you, I mean it just it, it was easy for you to it, learn? No, no, it was not. But it was uh, I save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get sixteen ounce packs of flavorful Angus ninety percent lean ground sirloin for four ninety nine each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on twelve packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I firmly believe that you can't hire somebody to do a job that you don't know how to do yourself. Now, I can edit audio. I can edit video. I can do graphic design. Do I do it super well? No. But I know it well enough to know how long things should take what the process is, how things could be improved so that I can tell my expert staff how to use their skills to accomplish what I want because I actually understand how things work. It's kind of like how UPS, the, they make the C-suite guys drive the truck for a week, like every couple of years. So when they, they say things like, well, when I drove a truck, we just did this. Yeah, well, when you drove a truck, it was 20 years ago, Bob, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so to make sure they never get out of touch with what's really happening yeah. And I think that's important. So I don't, I'm not, you know, it's an like undercover boss, the show undercover boss. Exactly. You know? And so for me to know how I wanted things to look and work and how much time, you know, it, it was really instrumental, but then I very quickly, you know, as soon as I started landing contracts, I was hiring, you know, an audio engineer first and then the video editor. Those are the first two hires I made at Heartcast Media. And then I did everything else because there just wasn't enough money to hire anybody, you know, in the beginning. So, um, since the pandemic, you know, we're fully remote. Uh, our clients are all over the world now. Uh, it's really exciting, honestly. And we're still, you know, so I, I made the decision to move to Costa Rica two years ago, almost to the day, uh, because 
I was living just outside the city of DC and paying so much money to live there and doing everything remotely. And I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? Why am I not living someplace where I can see the ocean or I could be barefoot more often? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, well, I'm just going to go to Costa Rica now, get my clients used to the idea that I'm not in the same country as them anymore. Uh, and also more importantly, make sure that it was something that I really wanted to do, because I think a lot of people build up this idea of this like utopian retirement or, you know, when I get to Costa Rica, then my problems will go away. No, they won't. They get worse because it's very quiet. <laughs> so all you can do is think about your problem. So, you know, <laughs> I figured let me make sure it's a place I want to actually be. Cause most people don't last more than two years. You know, how, they, did, you, how did you pick? So out of all the places in the whole wide world. Costa Rica. Why? Well, I like their politics. It's a beautiful place. Uh, they're very kind people, good people. And uh, when I came here to visit, all my pain went away. Really? And so, uh, like for me, if if I get really cold, it's like legitimately painful. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's exhausting. I you know, what know I mean? people who who have moved to southern climates, warm climates, um, for different autoimmune issues which is interesting. That's a whole other topic, but yeah. And I mean, I yeah. just live so much cleaner now and I get sunshine and I spend a lot of time barefoot. So I'm connected. I'm walking in my grass I'm gardening barefoot. You know, I'm a lot more connected to like the earth and nature and fresh yeah. air and sunshine than right. I ever have been in my whole life really, because it's like, it's like spring, summer here year round. Wow. Wow. That sounds amazing. I'm on the East coast. So I would, and I, the older, I think the older we get, the the more we need the sun. For sure. For yeah. sure. Like my house here, I don't have heat or air conditioning. And I think that's like the coolest thing ever. Are you in a tree you know? house? No, it just kind of <laughs> seems like. Um, okay. I want to share another quote. You said, I have goals to hit $2 million a year in revenue. Um. Do goals keep you motivated? Are are making goals something that's always been a part of your professional life? Um, not necessarily. Well, I mean, yes and no. I'm I'm definitely a like task and goal oriented person, but in my last company, I made a lot of mistakes because I didn't know any better. I didn't have an MBA. I didn't even know what leadership was. It wasn't mindset. You know, these are not things that people were talking about. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and not to women, especially, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I made a lot of mistakes in that business and I was really pouring from an empty cup. And so when I closed that company and decided to form this new one, it was very specific on like, I'm not going to devalue myself and I want to build something that can create, um, not legacy, because I don't really care about legacy. I'm more interested in like financial security and stability for the rest of my life because I have to be realistic about the fact that my spine is failing, you know? Uh, and I know that I'm not going to get that security from a nine to five job. And so I formed this company with the direct intention to hit a specific revenue number for a certain amount of years so that I could sell the company for a certain amount of money. So it's been a very you know, very, uh, clear goal, uh, with this company for sure. Yeah. I have no doubt that you're going to, you're going to reach that goal. Um, tell me about the, tell me about, um, the culture in your company. How do you keep your team 
motivated and feeling like they're an integral part of what's going on? Um, I thank them a lot. I apologize when I'm wrong. Uh, I give everybody a lot of autonomy. You know, I don't bird dog anybody. I don't care when you work. I don't care even if you have like my main engineer is also a hockey coach for like 16 year old girls and they're like doing really well. And I'm super cool with that. Like, you know, I don't even mind covering shifts for him on Fridays if he's traveling because he always gets the work done and that's the most important thing. And I think that that's the kind of world we should live in where, you know, I don't own him. I don't own all of his time. And if he wants to do that and then he catches up with his work on the weekends and it's not impacting our deadlines, then why would I care? Right. I've always bucked against this idea of nine to five. Like that's why we have traffic. Like what, who, what man decided that everybody was going to go to work at the same time. First of all, whatever time that is, you know what I mean? Like it just, yeah, who it made really that rule? I'm always asking, I'm always asking that question. So who made the rule that we have to do this this way? And why does everyone coalesce? Why does everyone say, okay, we're going to do it this way. You know? like in almost any business, unless it's retail, why it would be great if you had certain staff that worked till five and then other people that were there till seven and other people that were there till nine o'clock at night. Think about how many deadlines you could get done for the next day. If there was people staying later who yeah. were working more efficiently because they're nighttime people. Yeah. You know? I think we are the good. We're talking about these things more today than ever, for right? Sure. That We don't always have to be so structured. And that in fact, you know, going the other way is often much more profitable. You said something about not having an MBA. And I would argue, you know, that you don't really have to have an MBA to be a good leader. A leader is the one that is encouraging the people that work with them to grow and expand so that everything you're doing collectively becomes better. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a lot of a lot of stuff is kind of overrated when it comes to MBAs and education and different degrees, depending. Um, but I knew that I was lacking a lot of information that I didn't have. And when I actually formed Hardcast Media, I formed it with a business partner and she lasted like three weeks or six weeks and then was like, I'm out. She didn't, you know, people think being a part of a startup is cool. And so you're like, oh, that means that you have no life and you work 70 hours a week now. Like there's nothing sexy or fun about being the founder of a startup, especially it's if you hard. didn't get a whole bunch of dollars with that title, yeah. right? Which most it's people scary. Yeah. have not, you know, but she like respectfully, gracefully bowed out. But then there I was, she was the one with the uh, project PPM or whatever the hell it is. And the MBA and the, you know, she was the one with all that. And I was the one with the intellectual property, the relationships and the equipment. And when she left, I recognized there was a huge gap there. And so I became a student of business development, personal development and leadership. So I've read 150 books now in the last four years, five years. Uh, you know, I've slowed down now. I tend to reread the books that I find very impactful. You have a, what, what's your, if I ask you, you know, I, I actually don't like this question, you know, what's your favorite book, but is there one that you read that you were like, wow, really and I read it every year, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership by John C. Maxwell. There you go. Okay. Hands down. Hands what was down. the, what was the, le what was the one thing you read and it woke you up? You thought, Oh my God. Yes. It's, Every year it's something different. Usually it's a lot of, ooh, 
ooh, I'm getting that wrong. <laughs> like, ooh, I could have done better here. You know, it's a report card for myself. It's a good reminder. You know, those 21 laws, how am I hitting? And it changes every year, right? Because I change every year. Yeah. You well, know? we're growing. Yeah, you're growing, always learning, right? If that's the point. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, the one page marketing plan is a good one. And then hundred million dollar offers by Alex Hermosi is a great book for understanding how to price your offers and not devalue yourself and, and to actually make money without a lot of bro talk and hype and all that. He's like very, he looks like a bro. He's like a weightlifter guy, but he, when you listen to him speak, it's like, oh, this guy's speaking from experience. Mm. And not to sell you a course. Yeah. He doesn't have anything for sale at all. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So they their deal is get to three million a year in revenue, and then they'll consider to invest in your company and help you get to 10 million a year or more. So they give you all these resources to help you make more money in hopes that you get to three million and call them up. It's pretty smart. But he's yeah. not doing retreats, he's not doing webinars, masterminds, courses, none of that. He's not trying to sell you anything. So I respect that. So if anybody's yeah. looking for some good stuff, he's Excellent. a good, good one. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, tell me, I read something about the next 100. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, uh, that was a podcast that I started and I kind of faded out on it because I recognized I didn't really want to be on camera as much with my own podcast. Um, but uh, that's really about like the next 100 days, right? Like, what are you doing, you know? Uh, the next 100K in revenue, the next 100 days, you know, the next 100 minutes. It's like, what are you doing now to build the life that you really want to live? Uh, how do you get to the next 100K in revenue in your business? You know, just really like sharing some of the stories that I have and um, things that I've learned, you know, because I went from um, closing my last business 100 grand in debt, you know, and completely mm -hmm. devoid of everything. I had been pouring from an empty cup for so long to now having sold, you know, over a million dollars worth of services for my business personally, you know, in a short few years. And so there was a huge shift there in my education, my mindset, you know, the experience, you know, the things that I felt I was deserving of and I could actually aim at and accomplish, you know, all of those things really changed a lot. And so my goal was to uh, share some of that knowledge so that other people could find that, uh, find that way themselves. You know? Yeah. You know, Molly, what, I think one of your greatest gifts is you're not afraid to say, I don't know something and I don't know. So I want to learn it as opposed to needing to be always, you know, the most expert in the room, you know, in, in your industry. Well, well, you know, the other thing that I've noticed, I've, a lot of the women clients I work with, they say a lot of things like, God, I'm so bad at this. You must think I'm so stupid or I, I I'm so clueless. I don't know how to do any of this. And I'm like, nobody does boo boo. You know what I mean? Like it's email nurturing sequences on active campaign. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know how to do it either. Like you're not stupid. You're not flawed. There's nothing. You haven't done you. it yet. Yeah. You, you haven't just haven't done it yet. Like you gotta like be easier on yourself. Don't be so unkind to yourself. You know what I mean? Like I would, you know, no, you're not done. There's nothing wrong with you. And yeah. so I've just never taken that approach of feeling like I'm less than because I don't know something. I just find it challenging to find it. And now with like YouTube, there's nothing you can't do. Okay. <laughs> nothing. How to every, I'm always on, how do you do whatever it is? It's awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, there's no excuse for anything. You know, right. it's just, the other day I was thinking about it and 
I Googled how to start a podcast like 15 years ago and it opened up my first Podbean account. You know, it's what like, what else? Who knew? Who oh knew? my gosh. Right. <laughs> you know, there's, by the way, my son who knows what a relentless questioner I am, he sent me this morning. There's a new tool, and you maybe have heard of it, perplexity. And it's a combination of AI and Google. Oh. Literally, whatever you want to know in the whole wide world, you can use this new app, Perplexity. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I said to my son, I'm going to be in a deep, dark hole every day, just getting lost in in this new app. In perplexity, um, yeah. <laughs> tell me how, what, how do you, so especially for entrepreneurs, I think there's more of moments of stress and worry and angst because you're responsible for others. You're not going to a job, doing your work and going home. What's your go-to for managing crises, you know, those, those moments when? Well, I think you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. And when I recognize that I'm incapable of responding without anger or feelings and I just check out and go get on my treadmill or something. So that's, you know, be less reactive is the first thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Recognizing, you know, when, you know, everybody's different, but I know what my weaknesses are, but it's when I ignore them and I say, Oh, the hell with it. I'm saying what I want anyway. It never works out for me. Um, but I feel like so much of it is, you know, in those hundred and some odd books that I've read, one of the one of the number one takeaways was take the straightest path to the money. And so when I'm feeling stressed out about payroll or whatever, you know, whatever it is, I try to sit down and write a list and then do the three things that are going to get me closest to the money. Because as a business owner, 99% of your stress involves not having enough money. Mm. Cash flow. Right. 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 Well, writing a month's worth of social media content is not going to change your cash flow situation. Emailing 10 clients and asking for referrals will, you know, like you got to know where to put your energy. And I think the shiny object object syndrome is getting bigger and bigger every day. You know what I mean? Everybody's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I used to use Riverside and they're like, and now you can edit your videos in Riverside. Now you can add clapping sounds and sound effects. And I'm like, I'm a professional podcast studio. I'm never going to edit in your software. I'm not going to give you $1,800 a month because I use Adobe. You know what I mean? Like everybody's trying to be everything. Kajabi's yeah. like, we're a CRM tool. We're an email provider. We're a course. It's like, stop, you know, it's a race to the top, which is actually the bottom. It's like, how much money can we raise for this tech company? How much more money can we get? How many more subscribers? But the the quality has really waned in all of it. And so, mm-hmm. it, and then we're suffering because we're like, oh, I need HoneyBook or Dubsado to s- submit fancy proposals. Listen, I've, I've closed a mil- over a million dollars in business on email. I've never sent a single <laughs> pro- fancy proposal on a PDF in all my years of business. It doesn't close deals, but Dubsado and those things are going to tell you that you need that to make money. So now here you are learning Dubsado instead of just asking for business, instead of reaching awesome. out and asking for referrals. Now now you've become a Dubsado expert or you've become an expert in this or an expert in that. None of those have anything to do with closing deals and having cash flow in your bank account. And especially as women, we really we're just steered astray. Like, you know, start business coaches will tell you to tell you to start a community on Facebook and give away a ton of value for free. What does that have to do with oh closing deals? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. 
it's manipulative too because you're you're, you say you're building a community but you're just priming people to sell to them later just sell to them up front save yourself a year right ask for what you want ask for what you want yeah i am a liar you know what i mean yeah yes so in my moments of deep stress i usually will get on the treadmill and then i do the things that will actually move the needle in my business and then the other stuff i put off until later yeah Uh, and that usually gets results and that eliminates a lot of the stress. You know, yeah, smart, you know, really smart. Okay, my last question for you. Um, yeah, I want to give you an opportunity because I know that there are people listening and watching that um, are either thinking about starting their own businesses, already have them. So explain the, you know, I don't want you, you don't have to explain everything that you do, but explain w- what your service is and why it matters for them, why it's important. Absolutely. Well, we produce branded podcasts as a business development tool. And so there's a couple of different ways that you can have a podcast. You can have an interview podcast and interview people you want to do business with, or you can have a solo podcast where you're doing short episodes focused on your industry. And that's like thought leadership and shorter episodes, right? That's a great for nurturing campaigns, for creating social media assets, for creating SEO content. The interview side is great for creating relationships with potential clients and also the SEO content and the social media content. So a lot of people teach podcasting or still podcasting as the social media aspect and the audience growth, right? My business is not going to benefit from a large podcast audience. My business benefits from relationships. So I don't sell podcasting as do a hundred episodes this year, crank through episodes, ask entrepreneurs about their journey. It's like, no, interview 10 people you want to do business with or interview 10 people that can inter- the aggregators, right? Like I want to work with tech startups. So I'm p- actively pitching VC companies because they have 30 portfolio companies in their umbrella. And I'd rather close 30 deals at one time than one. So I'm interviewing people like that. And then I'm nurturing that relationship. So it's this, you know, it's two different angles. So if you're a coach or somebody who's super busy and you're like, how am I going to create all this content for my social media calendar? How am I going to get more business? I'm super overwhelmed. Well, a five minute weekly podcast that you can batch record and launch weekly will get that done. It'll create assets. It'll create SEO. It'll create nurturing. You know, now you got a newsletter because you can say there's a new episode up, right? So it's very effective in that manner or the interview style, depending on what your business needs are. But it's checking, it's, you know, the three waves, it's the relationship, the SEO and the social proof, you know, but the, the big one is the relationship because downloads don't close deals, relationships do. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are so focused on, well, how do I, I want to get people to subscribe to my podcast. Well, if yours, yours is a different situation. You're a media company. Your feed, your, your mission is completely different than like a tech startup founder. He's not, he's not going for downloads and reps and visibility. He needs to like do a brand video and a success story video. And he needs to interview some people to get in their pocket. And he needs to have podcast appearances on his investor deck. Like they have boxes to check. They're not going for the long haul on, you know? And so a lot of the language out there is actually aimed at someone like you, but that's not relevant for a business coach or a tech startup or an attorney. They're not going to use the podcast in the same way. So it's, it shouldn't be, you know, delivered in the same way, strategized in the same way, right? So our method is we're full service, white label shop, 
We will do everything, or white glove shop. We will do everything for you. All you do is show up and record. We release it. We, we put it on the platforms for you. We help you strategize, you know, and we really help you amplify to create, you know, strategic relationships and drive revenue. And that's the marker of our success, not how many downloads you have. So, um, you know, which a lot of people find so much easier to maintain because they're like, wait yes. a minute. I could do 10 episodes in Q1 and be good and have content for the year. Yeah, actually you could. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs find that a lot more appealing than like aiming the phone at themselves or getting on camera for the thought leadership stuff. It feels very inauthentic, but if yes. you can just clip yourself talking on your own podcast, you're going to get better content because it's, yes. it's organic. It's authentic, you know, exactly. it's natural, you know, yeah. and it so, relieves the fear. I mean, I think a lot of people, depending on age as well, I would say, you know, they don't understand podcasting, they hear it and they, they don't understand the value if you're strategic with it and how exactly how you just described the different ways it should be used. Um, otherwise you don't, don't jump into it and use it because you know, it's popular. And it's a lot of work, as you it's know, a lot of work, it's a lot of work, it's expensive. Yeah. And so if you're not really clear, right. And you know, if, if you do, and I'll give your listeners the secret sauce, if you do an introduction that shows that you actually care, right? Like if you, I did a podcast interview with a guy five years ago, I was genuinely interested about him. And so I researched him. He does work with elderly and foster kids. I mean, the guy is like literally one of the best humans I've ever met in my life. So I was genuinely curious about him. I did this minute long intro. I, you know, Mr. Aiken was the Sonny, the clown, his school mascot and, you know, Sackett Harbor, New York. He was like, how did you? And I was like, I Googled you. It really wasn't that hard. We had an amazing conversation about him and the work he was doing and everything else. To the, five years later, he sent me over a hundred thousand dollars worth of business. You know why? Because he likes me. Because we connected, we bonded because I actually care. Just like you, you're asking me questions because you actually care, you know? And that relationship has been so lucrative and it wasn't manipulative at all, but look no, what happened. It was real. It, it was, was real. real. And if more people took their podcasts as seriously as that and not just, you know, reading a LinkedIn interview and, you know, not even taking it seriously, not following up with the people. Same thing with podcast guesting people that come on the podcast and don't share the content. Don't take it seriously. It's like, what are you even doing here? You know what I mean? Yeah, what what yeah. are you really even doing here? So I think people don't understand how insanely valuable 10 of those interviews can be when you show up like it's a job interview or the first date with the love of your life and you want to be the best you can. Because when you follow up two days later, that person is going to say, absolutely, Molly, what do you need? When yes. I say, hey, Tom, will you make an introduction? Hey, Tom, can I get a meeting? Hey, Tom, would you donate to my nonprofit? Of course, he's going to say yes. Right. Because he likes you, you know, and that's yeah. really how business works. Night. That's how life works, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that, my friend, is why you're so successful. So um, I really appreciate your taking time from your beautiful Costa Rica home with the dogs. And um, we're going to be following and, and sharing all the good work you're doing. 
Well, thank you. It's been an honor. I, I loved meeting you and I'm glad we got to connect and I love seeing your team growing. You're getting all the support you deserve. So I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Thanks, Molly. Absolutely. Uh, stay with us for um, another segment from our watch team and I'll be back to close out the show. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between. For 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start, supporting families as they grow, and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are, and here we grow. We are CHOP. And we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center, We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, as always, to our sponsors, um, our watch team of corporate partners for their support. And stay tuned for my interview next week with Bronwyn O'Keefe. Bronwyn is the global head of content for the Globetrotters. 
going to be a great show. Have a great week, everyone. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.